With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to the Obtuse Angles podcast with Kyle and Jeremy. Kyle Fields, former indie worker, current stand-up comedian, podcaster, by God, radio broadcaster. Jeremy, bam, bam, boom, boom, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Iron Mike, the professor, the southern dandy. Flyboy, the golden child. Ten minutes on other side of putting a ham in the smokehouse Sutherland. Also a comedian, podcaster, former indie worker, IT man to the stars, and today, over 240-some episodes in, we are finally getting around to one of the most famous unsolved murders in American history. Of course, we're talking about the Black Dahlia. Jeremy, what's going on, big boy? <laughs> no... No, no, I'm going to no. go ahead and nip that in the bud. That's not going to be a thing. Cute What's little fucking thing? nicknames that pertain to my looks aren't going to be a thing. They're not going to be a thing. Oh go my ahead and God. shut that shit down. It's not going to happen. Do you have any idea how many people I call Big Boy on a regular fucking basis? Okay, Goddamn, well, my mom. Do looks, okay, yeah, okay. Let's do nicknames based on our looks. Not too much. Nothing's going on with the Big Boy. How's the grown fucking toddler? How's he doing? The gro- Hold on. Yeah, wait how a you minute, doing the there, grown toddler? How you doing? Are how you, you saying doing there, that, $6 haircut? Doing all right? Okay, first of all, my haircut costs 10 okay? Uh-huh. So, <laughs> how stupid do you sound? Secondly, are you calling me toddler because you're referring to my penis, which is the size of a baby's arm holding an apple? Is that what you're talking about? Because no, that's a I'm, compliment, I'm referring to your penis because it, it that toddles. Way. It toddles. It toddles around looking for grown man-ass. Puerto Rican grown man-ass. <laughs> oh, Puerto Rican. Uh, yeah. Is that my thing now? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm a little, I'm a are little you, flattered. Are you, are you saying it's not... Right here in front of God and everybody, you're going to say that you don't fucking love Puerto Rican dick. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, my God. Okay, Hold on. Now, you said I was into Puerto Rican ass, and now I'm into Puerto Rican dick. So, hold on. Wait a minute. Mm. Am, I, uh, am I a bottom or a top? Get your fucking story straight here, bro. <laughs> Are you a bottom or a top? God damn. Are you a bottom or a top? Yes. Of course you're a bottom. No one has ever mistaken you for a top. Jeremy, are you a are you a fucking male model? Did you oh, was that your I saw in that Gucci ad I read last week? Oh yeah, that was you, wasn't it? Like what a stupid question. Am I a bottom or a top? Of course you get pounded in your ass repeatedly by large Puerto Rican men. Of course you do. 
I hold on. Wait a minute. No, because I think in this scenario, I'd be a top. And let me explain why. In most, I probably would be a bottom, I would say. And I'm, I'll give you that. But I think that in order for me to love Puerto Rican men, I would have to be a top. Because there's no way that a Puerto Rican man's coming after me. He could do much better. Much, much fucking <laughs> yeah. better. Like That's the true. only way that a, a dude is is like coming after me in a sexual way is you know is on a fucking camping trip with three of my boys, deliverance style, where you hear banjos. But Jeremy, we don't have enough time uh, to get to my sexual preferences and all of the men that I would like to sleep with. And God, we there's just too many episodes for that. We're talking the Black Dahlia, and we have done a macabre month. We have had macabre things. You can go back and check out all of the macabre. Yes, I know I'm saying it exactly right. Uh, episodes at obtuseangles.libson.com or Kylefield's Comedy or iTunes or Stitcher or Podcast Addict, everywhere in between. I just, I can't believe it took us this long to get to this. Jeremy, I didn't know a lot about the Black Dahlia uh, before I started reading this. Did you, before we did, uh, went balls deep into this episode, the way I apparently do with young Puerto Rican men? Yeah, well, the thing, the thing about the Black Dahlia is... It's not so much the Black Dahlia, really, uh, herself that captures my imagination as much as it is the conspiracy theories that sort of surround everything. Uh, well, no, it was. It was. It was actually the first big murder mystery that shook the United States after the Second World War. And you're right about that, because by 1946, America was finally hopping onto the old television bandwagon. You know, uh, there was mm-hmm. tele- there was there were TVs in American homes in the early 40s. Well, you were, yeah, you but- were. This was. 1947 so you were approaching the years when a television in every household was just a few years you know was just a few years around the corner well, it was so sensationalistic. So the Black Dahlia was a woman named Elizabeth Short, born in 1924, and she died either on January 14th or 15th, 1947. She was a very young woman, 22 years old. The reason she was called the Black Dahlia was because when she was seen alive, she had shocking dark hair, she had pale skin, and she always dressed in black. And the movie The Black Dahlia was the name of a film that was around at that point. So some The movie people- was actually called The Blue Dahlia. Oh, no, you're... Oh, wow. Oh, somebody... Look at the big brains on Brad. I'm sorry. Whoa. <laughs> Holy fuck. All right there, big big cat. I didn't fucking know that you were a goddamn Black Dahlia aficionado. Why don't you go... I'm going to sit back and you do the rest of this fucking episode. How about that? I'm going to pack a bowl and we're going to let Jeremy <laughs> regale us with... you on the title of a movie from 1946 and then suddenly, suddenly you get all bent out of shape. Go ahead. Proceed. So the customers of the drugstore, which she was at, which I mean, 22 years old, L.A., young woman, always in a drugstore. Obviously, she had herpes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, of course she did. But uh, but she was a she was a beautiful girl and she moved to L.A. after having a terrible fucking upbringing. She never knew her dad. She she thought her dad was dead. She moved in with him in L.A. They got into a fight. She left and she bounced around. Now, a lot of people have always said, oh, she wanted to be an actress, but there are no official credits for her. So Elizabeth Short was just this young, beautiful woman who never really did a whole lot. And then she gained so much more fame. It's uh, it's sadly ironic that she gained the fame and death that she always wanted in her entire short life. Over 150 uh, motherfuckers were interviewed. (laughs) 
that's that's what they used to. <laughs> that's what they used to <laughs> now, call now, them. Now back that's then. the official term, right? Right. Yeah, that's actually in the police right. records right now. 150 motherfuckers were interviewed for her death, and no one was ever pinpointed. Although. A lot of people are pretty sure that we know who killed her, and we're going to be talking about that. So, January 9th, 1947, she goes to her home in L.A. after a brief trip to San Diego with a guy named Robert Red Manley. He was a 25-year-old married salesman that she had been dating. So, already, we got some scandal, Jeremy. Dating a 25-year-old married man. You've done that plenty of times, right? Hey, nothing but respect. Yeah, I've, I've dated plenty of young married men. <laughs> Over And the internet makes it so much easier easier. Now, he was going to be the the first suspect of the murder, although he was interviewed and it was found that... Uh, and by the way, I do love how they stayed in a hotel the night before she supposedly disappeared, and he was interviewed, and Robert Red Manley said, uh, it was purely platonic. <laughs> I love how it's a fucking... It's, it's a murder trial, but he just wants the cops to know, in case his wife might have been listening, that he wasn't fucking her. Well, that's the beauty of it, man. You gotta... You got to keep things open. You got to keep all your options open in case there were any, you know, fine looking honeys in the in the courtroom. Maybe someone, some <laughs> hot looking little thing on the witness stand. Now, sir, you do realize that you will be committing perjury if you are lying about having sex well, with hey, this woman. Hey, now, do this I court. seem like the kind of guy? Sir, you literally asked me to sniff your fingers when you walked into the courtroom. So, yes, you are. Uh, the... <laughs> The morning of January 15th, 1947, her body is found naked. Now, this is why the whole case was so sensationalistic. If it would have been a young, beautiful woman who was found murdered in L.A. and they never found the guy, okay, yeah, fine. But how many of those are there? The way that they found her body was fucking insane. It was severed into two pieces on a vacant lot on the west side of South Norton Avenue. A local woman named Betty Bersinger, which, by the way, is it me or was literally every third woman in the 40s named fucking Betty. Every that's fucking right. that one is of true. them. Yeah, that stands. Betty is walking by at 10 a.m. to get her shoes fixed because, I mean, of course you are. It's her and her three-year-old <laughs> daughter, and she says that she initially thought she found a discarded store mannequin. When she realized it was a corpse, she rushed to a nearby house, telephoned the police, and then went and got her why, shoes why, fixed. Why after. is it? Why is that always something that happens? You know, they they thought the the bisected woman they found laying in an abandoned lot was a was a mannequin, and they thought the sound of that submachine gun firing off was firecrackers. Like, is do you have to be just completely <laughs> mentally devoid of any deduction skills on any level to be considered a witness for anything? Do you ever notice that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look. Yeah, I heard people yelling at each other. I heard a man say, "I will pull my gun out and shoot you in the face," and I did hear a gunshot afterward. And I heard a guy scream, you shot me in the face, but they might have been playing. <laughs> and you know, you didn't find this weird. No, hell no. After this woman calls the police, our old pal Betty, uh, Betty calls the cops and then she goes and gets her fucking shoes fixed. So it wasn't like she took the day off. She had to sit down and have a goddamn coffee. No, this is this is L.A. So this is probably the ninth dead body she's passing by that fucking morning. Do you think because it's Los Angeles that people are already kind of like unaffected and and too fucking ironic to <laughs> jaded to deal with shit? Oh, you think you're special because you're cutting too big fucking deal like I give a damn <laughs> my heart's cut in two uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Is that what? laughs> 
I've been emotionally cut in two for years. Uh, her severely mutilated body was completely severed at the waist and drained of blood, so a good time all around, leaving her skin a uh, pale white. Medical examiners determined that she had been dead for around 10 hours prior to the discovery, leaving the time of death sometime on the 14th or the 15th, and the body had apparently been washed by the killer to get any of his DNA, or they didn't even know what the fuck DNA was in the 40s, so this motherfucker, it might have been Batman for all the fuck we know. He he was nine steps ahead of the goddamn cops. Uh, this is what was so sensationalistic, uh, aside from the fact that, you know, she was cut in two and her blood was gone. He had... What do, they, what do they do? What do they do in those days when they find, quote, DNA? They find someone's semen. I mean, they didn't have the technology that's required to test DNA. So what they do. They capture one of the suspects. They're like, look, we want you to take this cup in here and we want you to beat off into it and then bring it back in here. And we're going to hold it up next to the other beat off and see if it kind of looks the same. <laughs> no, like, what do they, they do at they... that point with DNA in the 1940s? Well, they would call his wife in. It was like the Pepsi challenge. They would try to ask her if it tasted familiar. <laughs> <laughs> they do a blind, a double blind taste test. Now, you know, actually, if it were going to be a cop in the 40s, I picture them all being like, yeah, so take this cup in here, see? Jerk off into it, see? And I'm going to have my wife come up here and she's going to taste test it, see? Did every cop in the 40s sound like that? Yeah, shit. I don't think anyone ever sounded like that. To me, he would. To me, to me, he would have been a flamboyantly gay detective who was the go-to guy. <laughs> Hold that up to the sun. Um, her, uh, her face had been slashed from the corners of her mouth to her ears, creating an effect known as the Glasgow smile. Now, the thing about this was that it was done with perfect precision. That was the first clue that the cops thought it might have been a doctor who did this because it was with a scalpel. And again, he cut her in half and drained her of her blood. Uh, she had several cuts on her thigh and breasts, and pieces of her flesh had been slashed sliced away. The lower part of her body was actually positioned a foot away from the upper, and her intestines had been tucked neatly beneath her buttocks. Are you turned on yet? Because I am. Uh, the corpse had been posed with her hands over her head, her elbows bent at the right angles, and her legs spread apart. So uh, this is just a, a fun day in the neighborhood for young Betty walking across this, right? And why are there like seven different names for that? Did you know there's like the Glasgow smile, the Chelsea grin? Like, I don't know all of them, but I know there's more. Like, I get it. It's a cool thing or whatever. And it happened to the Joker. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cool but people, thing. <laughs> people don't know. People don't know about the Swiss Whistler. The Swiss, the Swiss Whistler, Whistler is, is, way, is way worse and way more violent, I think, in my opinion. And it's just cooler. And it has a name that's kind of alliterated kind of rhymes a little bit are you familiar with the swiss whistler i no, i'm not but it sounds like something you have to pay for in memphis tennessee what is the swiss whistler <laughs> kind of does see that's it that's an added dimension that makes it sound even cooler it's where they hold a credit card in front of your mouth like edgewise and then they punch it they punch you square in the fucking face they punch a credit card through your mouth and it cuts your cuts your mouth on each side they do it with a oh credit card God. they can do it with a knife blade they do it either way, but it leaves basically <laughs> the same effect. I'm, are, although I'm sure they? it's a lot more violent than the uh, than the Glasgow smile. Now, you keep on seeing. You keep on saying they. Who are they in this scenario? I don't know. Like uh, gangsters with like an Irish accent. 
I just picture like Scottish or Irish gangsters. Andy Cap. And maybe... It's Andy Cap, the hot fry guy. That's who it is. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah, it's Andy Cap. Yeah. Don't you give me shit, flow. Well, the cause of death was determined to be hemorrhaging from lacerations to her face and the shock from blows to her head and face. So all of the awful stuff that happened to her happened after she was dead, except for the Glasgow smile, by the way, or the Swiss whistler, if you're a goddamn hipster like Jeremy and have to refer to it that way. Uh, that happened while she was alive. Now, they did find fingerprints on the body, and they sent it to Washington, D.C., uh, but they were fucked up on the way there, so it didn't really work out, which is just great, huh? Isn't that fantastic? Don't yeah. you love it when, when stuff is lost? In Now, Jeremy, this is... When I was reading this, if, if you think that newspapers these days, if you think that TMZ, if you think that the news is a little shoddy, it ain't got nothing in the media back in the 1940s. Immediately following the identification of Short, that's the Black Dahlia, reporters from William Randolph Hearst's Los Angeles Examiner contacted her mother, Phoebe Short, in Boston and told her that her daughter had won a beauty contest. Well, how about that? Isn't that nice? And then <laughs> it was only after prying as much personal information as they could from her mother <laughs> that the that the Reporters revealed that no, she was she had been murdered. <laughs> J.K. LOL. God, uh, the newspaper offered to pay Psych? her mother's. <laughs> See, that's what they said. They said, she gave all the information. He goes, "Psych, bye," and then hangs up. She's she's murdered, and then her mom was like, "Ah, you got me. You fucking got me." So after they after they tell this poor woman that that, you know, her fucking daughter went from winning a beauty contest to being fucking murdered, the newspaper offers to pay her airfare and accommodations if she would travel to Los Angeles to help with the police investigation. So, of course, she says, yes, here's the thing. That was yet another ploy since the newspaper kept her away from the cops and other reporters just to protect their scoop. They literally lied to this poor woman just to get a good story out of it and they kept on sensationalizing the story they they, they said that she was uh, sex trafficked and tortured now the cops know that the torturing and the sex trafficking is not true but they don't say anything about it and they let all of these fake rumors fly just because obviously having less information out there at this point of the investigation is better psych you're dead your bitch is dead so the person who murdered the Black Dahlia, by the way, uh, <laughs> they start in a Zodiac fashion. I guess the Zodiac stole this from him. They start fucking with the police. Uh, on January 21st, only a few days after the body is found, a person claiming to be her killer placed a phone call to the office of James Richardson, the editor of The Examiner, congratulating Richardson on the newspaper's coverage of the case. <laughs> That's just see, you don't get that kind of respect anywhere else, do you? <laughs> Good job. He also stated that he planned on eventually turning himself in, but not before allowing the police to pursue him further. Because, you know, video games didn't exist at that point. Uh, on January 24th, a suspicious envelope was discovered by a postal worker. The envelope had been addressed to the examiner with individual words that had been cut and pasted from newspaper clippings. Additionally, a large message on the face of the envelope read, quote, here is Dahlia's belong 
belongings, letters to follow. The envelope contained her birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book with a couple of pages torn out of the address book, which of course led the cops to believe that the Dahlia knew the murderer, and that's why he pulled his name out of her book. So, I mean, at least, you know... This is some of the shoddiest police work. This is like some of the most suspect fucking police work I think I've ever heard of. Like, this is old fat bitch pulling up at Bojangles for a fucking box of chicks in in West Memphis bad police work. You know what I mean? Like, 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 letting a suspect covered in blood leave because you need a three piece and a biscuit bad. Like even for even for the standards of the 1940s. No, you're right about that. And again, and that's going back to our West Memphis Three episode, which you can check out right now at obtuseangles.lipson.com, Like we said, but it seems like I don't know. I, we're gonna. I'm gonna go ahead and be a little bit less conservative with this one. Prior to 1965. If if you were a, a police officer and you were investigating a murder, you did that by looking around and going, "Well, shit." With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> That's pretty much it. That's pretty yeah. much all you had to fucking do. <laughs> well, he's not here. That's, that much is clear. Whoever committed this murder is definitely not around right now. That much yeah, he, we're yeah, certain of. The fucking detective is drunk, swaying back and forth. He looks at his fucking... <laughs> he looks at, at the cop working with him and goes, I, I need you to go over there and question that guy. And the dude's like, sir, that's a tree. Oh, well, well, he might I know something. Be- so the dude, the killer, I'm sorry, the dude, he's a dude, he's a chill, relaxed, he's, he's, he's a chill guy. So uh, the cool dude who killed her, uh, obviously who sent all of these things to the cops, now you would think, okay, did they at least dust for fingerprints? Well, they did, but he had apparently wiped the fingerprints clean with gasoline, which I can just imagine the cop re- fucking reading that letter, smoking a cigarette. Ah, oh, shit! <laughs> evidence go up in smoke and and by the way you think that this is shoddy police work oh you ain't seen nothing yet we're gonna get to that in a bit so the weeks go on 150 people are interviewed time and time again a total of 750 investigators from the LAPD and other departments worked in the case during its initial stages 250 California State Patrol officers all of these people are talked to nothing no no one, no one even goes beyond the initial suspect, okay? Here's what I love is that uh, cops received a total of 60 confessions, most made by men. Now, since that time, over 500 people have confessed to the crime, some of whom weren't even born at the time of her death. <laughs> that's, a, that's a guilty conscience right there. I also stole the Lindbergh baby and sold out Jesus. It was me. I was Pontius Pilate. And I also wanted to uh, unhook Terry Shivo off of life support to get the insurance money. Like, sir, that's not going to happen for another 70 years. Oh, well. <laughs> Why does Terry Shivo come up as often as she does on this show? 
a really good question. I, I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It's Tell weird, me this right? isn't the, the the fakest name you've ever heard. Sergeant John St. John, a detective who worked the case. <laughs> <laughs> detective, detective Joe Cop. Detective Joe Cop, who worked on 103 Fake Street, um, who worked the case until his retirement, stated, quote, it's amazing how many people offer up a relative as the killer. <laughs> Is it, though, John? <laughs> Is it John St. John? Because there's at least nine people in my family I want to fucking turn in for starting the great Chicago fire. <laughs> All right. So let's let's take a look at uh, just really quickly a couple of the suspects. And then we're going to get to the guy who probably actually did it. Several crime authors, as well as Cleveland detective Peter Merleo, suspected a link between the short murder, that's the Black Dahlia, and the Cleveland Torso Murders. Ooh, isn't that, isn't that the best goddamn name for a metal band you've ever fucking heard? The Cleveland Torso Murders. You know what would be, yeah, that is a good, you know what would be another great um, name for a metal band? The Black Dahlia Murder. Oh, God, why has no one done that? That's weird, right? That would be like a sick name for your rock band. Yeah. Sounds like that band would really suck balls, too. So anyway, Probably, <laughs> I'm just pissed yeah. off. Are you, are, you, are you a fan of the Black Dahlia Murder? I'm not. No, no, no. So that guy was active in Cleveland between 34 and 38. However, cops uh, ruled out any connection right there. Some other crime authors, though, and one of them is a guy named Steve Hodel. Steve Hodel is the son of a man named George Hill Hodel. Now, why does why why am I mentioning this Hodel guy? Well, because he is probably the one who fucking did it. Steve Hodel. Oh, I I even I did a lot of research on Mr. Hodel, Jeremy. He looks he's a guy. Google him right now. He looks like Borat. He literally looks exactly <laughs> like fucking Borat. Is he a white uh, guy? His, yeah. Okay, so he's not from Kazakhstan then. No, no, to make glorious benefit. No, he's actually not, but he looks just like he is from Kazakhstan. He was a highly intelligent guy, scoring a 186 on an early IQ test. He was a musical prodigy and a medical prodigy, going through medical school, zipping through, and really not even trying. Uh, I'm sure the way that I could if I wanted to. Uh, He went to Pasadena High School, graduated at age 15, and then goes to the prestigious California Institute of Technology. So this guy is a prodigy. This dude is smart as fuck, and apparently he knows how to get away with murder. In the 1930s, he was legally married to a supermodel from San Francisco. <laughs> That's not saying a whole lot. Look, okay, I'll buy that the guy was smart, but saying that he knows how to get away with murder in the 1940s is not... Saying, there's one tip to get away with murder in the 1940s. Don't be there when the cops come. That's that is the that is a guaranteed way not to get caught for murder in the 1940s. Just don't be around the crime scene when the cops get there to investigate it. Like, cause you know how like now it's like the first 48 or so important. Like back then it was the first 48 seconds. <laughs> it was like, did the cops get there in the first 48 seconds? They what? Well, they, they they were three seconds late. Fuck. Yeah, we have with within the first minute they have a chance of running around the block and catching you before you get out of sight. He gets his medical degree in 1936, and he he's a hobnobber. He's a social climber. He becomes friends with so many people in L.A. He was enamored with the darker side of surrealism and the decadence surrounding the art scene, which is why plenty of people believe that he murdered this woman, the Black Dahlia, as a surrealist art project. He's friends with director. John Houston, you know, from way back in the
the day. Like, he was connected in the L.A. scene. He also had an interest in sadomasochism and the dark art of philosophy. All this shit sounds like a 19-year-old boy trying to get pussy on AOL. I like, AOL I like how you AOL just said... Messenger. You just said sadomasochism, but somehow philosophy was the dark art there. Not the, <laughs> not the dark art of sadomasochism, but the dark art of philosophy. Like, in this your eyes, was... one is definitely worse than the other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, philosophy. Have, have you met a 20-year-old kid who just took a philosophy class? Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. God, they're fucking Nothing insufferable. Is... Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Let me tell you about John Locke, man. Man is born <laughs> free, but chains are everywhere. Fuck off. God damn it. Stop it, Brody. Stop, stop fucking all these chicks I'm hitting on, too. <laughs> he did, too, didn't he? He fucked every one of them. He grabbed oh, every yeah. one of them and yanked them out from under each one of them. Out from under you, didn't he? <laughs> that, that, he did, and I fucking hate him for it. That's why I took those <laughs> philosophy classes afterward. I did take those classes, by the way, for that reason. This guy's a real piece of shit. He's a polygamist. Now, that's not why he's a piece of shit. We all wish we could be polygamous. Mm. Uh, but he was wanted for raping his teenage daughter. He was a real piece of shit. Now, he first comes under suspicion for murder in 1945 after a secretary, Ruth Spaulding, dies by a drug overdose. Now, he was suspected of having murdered her in order to cover up his financial fraud since, yep, that was something else he was doing, such as billing patients for tests that were never performed and to protect various valuable secrets he had obtained about police and politicians. By the way, why police and politicians? Because in addition to having his own medical place, he was performing back alley abortions for cops and politicians in the L.A. area. Huh, wonder why his charges never materialized, Jeremy. What possible reason could that have happened? I, I can't put my finger on it. No. What do you reckon it is about these violent murderers, violent offenders, serial killers, and so forth? What do you, what do you reckon it is? Like, most of them are very smart. I mean, do you know any serial... Like, look at Jeffrey Dahmer. Look, look at Ted Bundy. Uh, look at Edmund Kemper. All very well articulate, well-spoken, above-average intelligence. What, what do you reckon it is about being that intelligent that just makes you do you just get bored are you so good at everything and you have all the answers that you need to everything in life like you're you're so smart you've got it all figured it out thankfully that's something that you're never going to have to worry about so yeah thank you thank you <laughs> you dumb god motherfucker. forbid i pose some kind of question that can that, that would require any sort of well thought out well plotted answer or anything no fuck Fuck it, let's just let's just fucking make fart noises and then point at stuff and laugh. It'll be it'll be great. Real highbrow shit. That's exactly what we do on this show. No, I'll tell you what it is, man, honestly, and we've said it before. Dumb people are the happiest ones on earth, 100% of the time. How many dumb bumblefucks that you've worked with in the past fucking oh, just no. goddamn walking down the hallway, dragging their knuckles, breathing through their mouth, listening to fucking Edame CDs and shit? How many dumb... <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about that before. You and I are not two smart guys. We're not. We're just not. We're not smart guys. No one's ever accused us of being that we're not smart but we are just smart enough to be miserable absolutely if and we could way, both lose see. five yeah. iq points we'd be the two happiest guys <laughs> in the world that's it that's all we're it would not take. we're not smart enough to invent anything or be good enough at our jobs to make enough money not to be sad 
Mm-hmm. But we're just smart enough to be uh, perceptive enough to realize how shitty we have it. Yeah, that's so, just smart enough to realize that we're just garbage. We're garbage, and we know it. It's right, so maybe if you would like to smack me in the face with a two-by-four, that might <laughs> really... I mean, like, the next time you see me, I might be fucking walking around listening to Nickelback, fucking talking about the new Adam Sandler Netflix movie. God, I wish... Fuck, I wish. Anyway, um, Hodel, the guy that we're talking about, this evil motherfucker, first came to police attention as a suspect for the murder in 1949 after his sexual abuse trial on his daughter. Because the sexual abuse people in the 40s were the first ones they looked into. Now, keep in mind, in order to be a sexual offender in 1949, you had to be a real bad motherfucker. I mean, like, they like they, they looked the other way. You have and to basically like, hey, walk in and tell the cop that you did it. That's the, the cops would be like, hey, are you taking that eight-year-old girl out on a date? You better have a note from her parents, motherfucker. Things to get real serious. So they start looking into the guy. During the trial, the girl that he molested alleged that her father was the Black Dahlia killer. <laughs> <laughs> Which, at first, had to kind of seem like a real Hail Mary, right? I mean, you're taking your dad to court. He's the black dahlia killer. Like, she's trying to name off everything to kind of put the nail in his coffin. And she's like, oh, yeah, he murdered the black dahlia as well. So there's <laughs> well, that. Well, see, he, uh, he blew up the challenger. <laughs> he, was... <laughs> he helped fake the moon landing. Basically, any <laughs> historical event that takes place in the next 60 years. <laughs> Everything involved with NASA. And, and, so anyway, uh, and, and by the way, we only found this part out that I'm getting ready to tell you in 2003. Keep in mind the Black Dahlia murder was in the 40s, and it wasn't until 2003 when an L.A. Times reporter began digging into this and, and really got into the police files that he found this out. When Hodel was being investigated by the cops for the murder... They had bugged his home, which I can't even imagine in 1947 what a goddamn bug would look like. What a, what a recording device. It had to be. <laughs> you think it was the size of a chair and they just made it look like it was a sofa or something? <laughs> it was the size of one of those old home record players that's built into like a cabinet. Yeah, his, uh, his private Hollywood residence was bugged by an 18-man task force. Now, you're not going to believe this, Jeremy, but somehow all of the audio disappeared. Isn't that crazy? But but the transcripts were still there in 2003. And he said this, and I quote, Suppose I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they might have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. Unquote. So... so. So this guy was from somewhere in like Texas. I was picturing you, <laughs> this horrible impression you're doing. That it's hard to picture a guy who looks like Borat and sounds like uh, an extra in Walker, Texas Ranger. I don't. Well, tar nation, slap me silly. <laughs> So he was investigated as a suspect, and guess what? In by April 1950, the cops had gathered enough evidence to charge him and arrest him for the murder. But right when they were going to arrest him, he left the United States and went to the Philippines. I'm sure that was a coincidence. Hey, yeah, people do weird things in the Philippines. The Philippines and Thailand, probably, uh, probably something really kinky. I mean, he could have went oh, anywhere. <laughs> he could have went to Russia. He could have went to China. He could have went to. It, you, five or six other places he could have went. 
it's always those ladyboy countries. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. That people like to go to. And I'm, look, I'm not saying anything against ladyboys. I love them. I fucked two this week, and it's only Monday, so I get it. But <laughs> for some... <laughs> uh, so in the years following him leaving the country, investigators from both the LAPD and the DA have privately stated that they believe the Black Dahlia case was solved and the total was the killer, though they didn't have enough evidence to go on trial. Here are some specific quotes from the top brass. Chief of Detectives Tad Brown said, quote, The Black Dahlia case was solved. He was a doctor who lived on Franklin Avenue in Hollywood. The LAPD police chief, uh, William H. Pat Parker, said, quote, We identified the Black Dahlia suspect. He was a doctor. The LASD undershift. James Downey said, quote, the Black Dahlia case was solved, but it will never come out. It was a doctor they all knew in Hollywood involved in abortions. And finally, the DA said, quote, we know who the Black Dahlia killer was. He was a doctor, but we didn't have enough to put him away. What? what why? Why not? What? What more do you need? We have, we have seven. We have seven authority figures who know beyond any shadow of a doubt, any <laughs> any re, beyond any reasonable doubt, any degree of reasonable doubt, and for some reason they can't put him away. <laughs> you say authority figures like it's a wrestling story. Like Vince McMahon, Stephanie McMahon, Shane McMahon, Eric Bischoff. I, just mean, I mean, look, you got journalists, you got cops, detectives, head of detectives, police chiefs are 100% convinced that it's this doctor. What, what, I mean, what's the reasoning behind that? In any of your research, you didn't find any of the reasoning behind why they can't put this guy away for it? Well, no, when they finally did have enough info, he went to the Philippines. I know what you're saying, Jeremy, okay, but it's not like a similar murder happened in the Philippines while he was there. Uh, very close to his home, another woman was found murdered who looked like the Black Dahlia and had her arms positioned above her head the way the Black Dahlia did. But I'm sure that was a coincidence. Well, the Black Dahlia was called such because of her stark black hair. I'm pretty sure that everybody in the Philippines has stark black hair. <laughs> That's what it was. So he could have murdered a 13-year-old boy and it would have it would have been very similar to the Black Dahlia murder. <laughs> Are you Johnny Cochran? Well, now, hold on a second there, player. I don't know why Johnny Cochran is Teddy Long in my fucking impression. Hold on a second, player. That's Tonight not you racist. Go one -on -one That's not racist at all. Every black guy in your mind talks like a fucking 70s job turkey. Like you sound, no, like, that... sound like the star of a black exploitation film. Oh, let me tell you about that sucker. That black turkey. <laughs> By the way, I could keep going. Uh, the person who blew this who blew this wide open, like I said, was a detective who was Hodel's own son, who has been leading uh, the charge for years, saying that his dad did this. He lived, by the way. I know what you're thinking. Well, maybe did he die some awful way? Fuck no. He lived to the ripe old age of like 92. He died in 1991. So everything was great. There, we could just keep going. Uh, in July 2018, Sandy Nichols of Indianapolis, Indiana, while going through her recently deceased mother's personal effects discovered a note that's a dying declaration letter written by her grandfather some 70 years before in 1949. Now, what does this have to do with the Black Dahlia? Well, the handwritten envelope read in case of Margaret Ellen or Glenna's death and was initialed WGM. Now, the letter was written out of fear that one or both of his teenage daughters might be killed because he was, an, a, he was a police informant 
informant at the time in L.A. of the Black Dahlia murders. He described his activities as working undercover for LAPD detectives to help them identify and arrest corrupt police officers. In his words, quote, it was to try to see if other officers could be investigated into the crime. On 17 separate occasions, he identified Hodel as a personal acquaintance of the Black Dahlia and named him the killer of both the Black Dahlia and the second low woman, Louise Springer, who, if you're keeping track, was his secretary. So, ladies and gentlemen, I think that we can just go ahead and say that uh, he's innocent of all charges. And why would anyone think that he did it? So, was this guy, was Hodel, was he like the Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself of the 1940s? Like, everybody just kind of knew it and nobody would do anything about it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's what it was. It was, but it was in that same old voice. Like, radio DJs back in the day were getting prank calls from people. Welcome back to the Charleston Hour. 23 Skidoo to you, sir. What would you like to hear? And there was some guy calling from like, with like 14 of his buddies crammed inside of a telephone booth or whatever fucking stupid ass pranks they pulled back then. There was a guy doing the Charleston on top of a flagpole. <laughs> he was like, uh, you yeah, know, Hodel did it! You know, Hodel did it was the fucking meme of the time. <laughs> So there you go. Well, Jeremy, the Black Dahlia Ca I think it's safe to say that you and I single-handedly in this 45 minutes have uh, solved the Black Dahlia murder case. What do you think? I think uh, yeah, I think it's time to lay it to lay it to rest. I think so. <laughs> time. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's There we go. Well, that, that is uh, the sound of us wiping our hands clean, and that's uh, our, us wiping our hands clean for another episode. I just wanted us to get down into the nitty-gritty of a balls-deep case. Jeremy had the idea of doing a, a famous unsolved murder, and that's exactly what we did this week. Uh, next week, what do you say we do something a little bit more fun? Jeremy, I know that your vote is to go uh, hit up the news again, take a look at some more of the headlines, but me and what maybe you, dear listener, would like to hear something else and if so let us know at obtuse podcast that's where you can reach us your direct line to this show he's at sutherland jb check out all of his artwork that he does and you can commission some for him as well i'm at funny man fields again obtuseangles.lipson.com kylefieldscomedy.com to see the episodes and to see where i'm going to be performing comedy next and go back subscribe to us make sure that you do because this show is hashtag evergreen man meaning it is not time sensitive so if you just stumbled across us oh man it's like when i stumble across youtube videos of guys who review like movies or games they go holy fuck i got like 40 fucking videos of this fucking dumbass you can think the same thing by the way while we're getting our shit in hashtag mexican cleaning crew drinking game that's an old school throwback for wes up in uh canada hashtag deep dickin because daniel is an og fan of this show and uh, we want to thank all the og fans of this show goddamn uh, mike odd who is awesome Awesome. Phil Durbin, all the other bros on the Twitter who are, uh, and by the way, the one listener in Romania, I, I look at the numbers every single fucking week, and without fail, there is one guy, <laughs> one guy in, Ro in Romania. I don't know dick all about Romania, but I'm so happy you're here with us. Thank you so much. Tell your other Romanian friends. I'm sure that they have room in their lives for a, a podcast that examines American pop culture. Because <laughs> they would. So there you go. And if you have any other ideas, again, like I said, hit us up. And seriously, go back and check out. Dude, we have like 200. It's like episode 243, I think. Something like that. God yeah. damn, bro. Yeah. So many. Yeah. We have so many episodes. 
episodes. Yeah, so check it all out, man. We're going to be back here next week again. Thanks for sticking around with us an extra day to check out this episode. I am at Funny Man Fields. Like I said, he's at Sutherland JB. Jeremy, what do you say? You take us away. Bye, guys.